angels all around. We are grateful this morning that without a doubt, without a, an equivocation, without a changing of our mind, that we are standing in the place where God is moving. Choose you this day who you give yourself to. Will you allow yourself to be Will you allow yourself to be coerced? Will you allow yourself to be persuaded that today is a dreary day, today is another rainy day, that today is just another day? Or will you allow yourself the opportunity to come into the presence of God and allow yourself to be changed for just a few moments of time? Let me ask you the question. Is God your healer this morning? Now, I know that there are people here within the sound of my voice that have the aches and pains of life. They have the sickness. They have the colds. They have the flus. And, and without a doubt, God is able to heal. But I ask you this morning, is God your healer? Is He the healer of your sin? Is He the healer that carries the burden of your heart? Is He the one that is here today to, to lift you up? Choose you this day. Choose you this day. I am so grateful for the opportunity to stand before you this morning. If you have your Bibles, I ask you this morning to turn to the book of Judges. Judges 16. And then after reading out of Judges, I'm going to turn to Isaiah 43 and 25, starting at verse 21, rather. I'm not sure how all this is going to go this morning. I, I've spent my time, I've studied the lesson this morning, and I've studied the lesson all week, to be honest with you. And I've prepared. But for all that I do, I can't change what God wants to do. And that is to meet each one of you here this morning. What I do, I, I do because I love to do it. Brother Rogers, it's good to see you this morning. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for being here myself this morning. The idea that I can, I can open my eyes and had the opportunity to praise my Lord. I rose early this morning and went down and spent some time with God this morning. And I'm grateful for the opportunity that if it wasn't for the Lord, where would I be? This morning, the title of my message is Restoration of, the, of a Rebel. But I, I, I want to also let you keep in mind this idea, this thought, this concept. For the, the concept is, is as real today as it was back then, the idea of forgiveness and restoration. Let me just read before I go on, because I'm, I'm ready to move. Judges 16, starting with, with verses 4 and 5, and then I'm going to go to 13, 16, 21, 20 and 21, 28 and 30. Judges 16.4 says, And it came to pass afterward 
that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and said unto her, Entice him, and see wherein his great strength lieth, and by what means we may prevail against him, that, that we may bind him, to afflict him, to give him give, and, and we will give to thee every one of us eleven hundred pieces of silver. And Delilah said unto Samson, verse thirteen, Hereunto, hitherto, thou hast mocked me, told me lies. Tell me wherewith thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If thou weavest the seven locks of my head with a web. Verse 16, And it came to pass when she pressed him daily, she pressed him day after day after day with her words, and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. That's what it cost him. And she said, the Philistines be... Oh, excuse me. Yeah, verse 20. And she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep, and he said, I will go out as other times before, and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with fetters of brass. And he did grind in the prison house. Verse 28... And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once. O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood, and upon which was borne up of one with his right hand and with and of the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords, and upon all the people that were, were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death was more than they which he slew in his life. In Isaiah 43, verses 21 through 25, it says this, this, is my, this people have I formed for myself, that they should show forth my praise. But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob, but thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. Thou hast not brought me the, cat, the small cattle for the, of thy burnt offerings, neither hast thou honored me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve thee with, to, to, to serve with an offering, nor wearied thee with incense. Thou hast brought me no sweet cane with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices. But thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own, for, for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. With the, with the help of the Lord, with the help of the Lord this morning, I want to talk to you about the restoration of a rebel. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we're so grateful for all that you've already done. We thank you for the Spirit of God that is moving in this place. 
Lord, I am thankful that we've already met this morning and you have made me a better man because of it. Lord, there's so much more for me to do, so much more for me to change. And there are needs here, Lord, that I can't meet, but you can. And the greatest need, Lord, is the need of souls being changed. God, I thank you for this opportunity to kneel and submit to you. And I ask God your blessings upon this morning. I ask God that you would do a work in this house and in these people and in my heart. I ask your blessings in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. The restoration of a rebel. I honestly, I'm not sure about how to take this. But through time, man has sought to do his own thing, his own way. Through time, man has, has propagated himself to an idea and a concept that I can be the master of my own destiny. The historical account this morning reads like a, like a who's who in today's society that though Samson may be a man who, who lived in the past, the things that he did in the past we still do today. The things that were once sin in the past are still being sinned today. The things that caused my, 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 the, the man who was called of God to sin back then is still calling men to sin today. I'm talking about the work of the flesh. I'm talking about the man or the woman who submits to the things of this world. The older I get, the more that I'm in the Word of God, the more my view of Scripture changes. I can remember as a young man, early in the Lord, I read these stories and I think, how can man not see what God is calling him to? How can man respond in such a way? How can the children of Israel go the path that they have gone? And then I realized in my own life, I've done the same thing. How many of us, even after we claim the Lord as our Savior, still walk our own path? How many of us have still refused to let God move in our lives to the point that we submit ourselves unto the Spirit of God? Right, right. If it hadn't been for the Lord, where would I be? And if it hadn't been for God in your life, if it hadn't been for the divine fact that God wishes that no man would say, or no man would perish, there would be no flesh saved. God is reaching this morning for somebody to realize that your path that you're walking on is not going to lead you to any place where there's peace. My God is not the God of confusion. My God is not the God that causes people to go and, and follow their own perniciousness. But my God is a God that leads to the path of peace. He doesn't give peace like the world gives peace of a few minutes of tranquility. 
It's not the tranquility that you hear when that music plays and you kind of get in the Zen moment and your soul just kind of relaxes and you say, Oh, no. The peace that my God gives, the peace that my Jesus gives, is when the, the storms of life are raging in your heart. And you're confused about which direction to turn. And you don't know where to go. And the man that stands next to you or the woman that speaks to you has no answer. That's when I can turn to my Lord and say, Lord, I need you now. I need you right now. And my God, my God in His promises says He will come and bring peace. Time, time show. Excuse me. Time shows. Time shows that if it wasn't for the intervention of the divine, this world would be in flames already. The, the thought, the thought that came to mind this morning as I, I was sitting in my office before service was the man, John Newton. John Newton was, was a man who who had no religious background. He was indifferent to religion. He had no care for religion. It was a perfunctionary part of his life. How, how are we on this? Sometimes we allow religion to become perfunctionary to a part or a portion of our lives and say, well, I've been to church. I have fulfilled my obligation. John Newton was that way. John Newton followed his own ways. See, the word pernaciousness means destruction. It's, it's, it's a word that lends itself to the idea that you will be utterly destroyed because there's no, there, 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 there's no peace with pernaciousness because it keeps moving and moving and moving because that's what destruction does. It tears apart. John Newton... John Newton was a man who, who was a slaver. He lived back in the late 1700s. Died in 18, I think it's 1805, 1807. John Newton was a slaver. He didn't care about life. He didn't, he, he didn't care about other, other people's misery. He didn't care about other people's suffering. He didn't care about other people who, who, were, who were following their own destruction until one day he got to a point where storms, he was, he was headed to the coast with, with, with a, a set of slaves and a storm came. The storm was so horrific that in the midst of his storm, he cried out, God, have mercy on me. And that was the turning point for John Newton. Because of John Newton, he changed the course of history. He changed the idea that men should be free from their bondage. Men should be free from the ideas that, that we are fettered by, by another man. Because of John Newton, he changed the course of Britain and England in the idea of slavery. 
He caused the slavery and the slave trade to come to an end in that country because he, sh- he worked diligently to, to set men free from their bondage. It was John Newton who was a poet and a clergyman, became a clergyman that wrote the song, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. That's a John Newton that realized he needed something more than just this life. How many of us, how, how many of us can be a John Newton? How many of you who, who, who sit upon our pews this morning can allow yourself to be moved by the Holy Ghost? To allow yourself to, to submit yourself to God's promptings and God's spirit so that God can have you reach out to a man or a woman who's needing you this morning. All that is not even in my notes. How many times this morning can I tell you in my own life that I've made foolish choices, that I've made foolish decisions and they've led me into great, terrific pain? Not pain physical, sometimes, yes, but more times pain of realizing that I have separated myself from God. Sin separates us from God. Sin in our life keeps us from allowing God to come into our lives and making a difference. Forgiveness and restoration. Samson was was one of those people we... We live in a time and a day and an age, if you please, <coughs> where we live in a society that is trying to put a foot on, on, the, on the neck of the church. We live in a time and a day and an age where our government, I'm not preaching politics here, but I'm preaching fact. Our government wants to put its neck upon the church. Why? Because the church has the liberty to make the decision on how they will live. The government that is of today wants to take away your choice and my choice on how we live and the freedom that we live in and give it to the government so that the government can decide how much money you can make, how much you can have, and how much uh, you are able to possess, and that uh, no matter what, the government still has the ultimate control that once you have it, the government can take it away. That's the society we live in. Why do I say that? One of the things that I say that is because last year, the government imposed its will upon the Catholic Church and said, you will perform abortions. Now here's the thing. We may say, well, that's the Catholic Church. Our government took on one of the greatest religious symbols in our country. Now, I don't, I don't adhere to the, 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 the Catholic doctrine. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is they attack the church. They were taken away and are taking away the religious freedoms of the church. Why is that significant in this morning? Because if the government takes away your right to sit within this building... If the government takes away your right to hear the gospel message and hear what is wrong with our society today, then you will not have the opportunity to know whether you are in the will of God or in the will of the government. 
You will not have the religious freedom to bow your knee to an almighty God who they don't have control. And allow yourself to be motivated by a, by a supreme being. The government wants to be our supreme being. It wants to be the final answer in your life. Now, I haven't lost track. I, I'm, not, I'm not off track here. I'm still in the gospel. You see, Samson, the story that we talked about this morning, Samson was supposed to be in, in, in a lot of ways. The government upon which the spiritual decisions of Israel were resting. He was called a judge. He was the one that decided or was called to decide the spiritual matters of the children of Israel. But if you look at Samson's life, it's a life that is littered with all kinds of moral failures and all kinds of spiritual failures. You see, I... I've looked at Samson's life when I was young and I thought, man, what power! Not realizing the real power is not in the outward, but it's on the inward. The power to come into the presence of a loving God and say, Father, forgive me. I've made a mistake. You see the strength of your arm. It's going to fail. The vision of your eye will go by the wayside. The clarity of your mind say, will say one day, I don't know where I'm at. But Jesus, He's always with me. And if I make the decision now, the things that are in my heart now, no matter where I'm at in life, will always walk with me because Jesus has never leaves me nor forsakes me. In Proverbs 16.25 it says, There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the, end of, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We follow our own ways. We, we make choices that lead to more bad choices. We don't always have the luxury of looking over our shoulder and saying that I, I want to do this over. We don't have the luxury to, to always be able to accept that I made a mistake and I, I need to rectify it. When you look at Samson's life, he, he waited until his, his last dying breaths to ask for forgiveness. See, I... I, I have a personal philosophy. It's just Brother Davis's philosophy. It's just what I have, I have come to, to uh, uh, hold within my own reasoning. If it's faulty for you, that's fine. It's what I give myself to. And, and that's the idea that deathbed confessions will get you nowhere. You see, once you're on your deathbed... There's nothing else you can do. You telling me, Brother Davis, that God can't restore me? Yes, God can restore you. That's, that's God's choice. But see, when you're on your deathbed, 
you, 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 you don't have another tomorrow. Your deathbed is death. And there's no way to, to make some of the rights or wrongs rights. God is a forgiving God. I talked with a woman years ago who said that she had visited a man who, he wasn't saved, he, he was of Baptist persuasion, if I can use that word, and he, he believed that, she believed that confession will just, was enough to get you saved. And that's between them and God. But it takes more than that. But he laid on his deathbed and he confessed that he had made some mistakes. And, and because of his confession of faith, I believe that God did forgive. Because if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. I'm not one to point a finger and say, no, he wasn't forgiven. But where do you take it after that? The man wasn't baptized. He wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost. He just confessed. He, see, he, he died. You're talking about Wednesday. He died. He, he died in his sins, but th- there was no resurrection power. If you want resurrection power, you've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. If, if, if you're going to be buried, then you need the power to be resurrected, and that's the infilling of the Holy Ghost. See, if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus dwell in you, then He that raised up Jesus will also raise you and I up in the last times. The power that raised up God from the, or Jesus from the dead is the same power that dwells in me. But there are those of us who have the opportunity to go back. We have the opportunity today to go back and make things right. Imagine the son who said, Dad, if I would have just listened to you. Mom, I, I'm sorry for what I said. To tell a wife, to tell a husband that you're sorry for the pain and the hurt that you caused because of angry words spoken in the heat of the moment. Most of us, however, all we can do is feel the regrets and the pains of our mistakes and we have to move on. I'm thankful for today. I'm thankful that I can come into the presence of the Lord and whatever mistake that I've made and whatever bad choice that I made, I can put it under the blood. I can put it under the blood of my Savior. And maybe I can't make restitution, but I can, I can at least let God wash me of that sin. This morning you don't have to carry your sin. But you can put it under the blood. Looking at the passage in Isaiah 43, God sees how we have set God aside in our lives. We live busy lives. We live hurried lives. We no longer have the tranquility of, of driving down the road in our car and, and maybe listening to music on the radio or maybe not listening to anything. But now we have to deal with the idea that as I'm driving down the road, somebody calls and says, Brother, I need this. Sister, I need this. What are you doing? Where, do you, where are you going? There's no tranquility anymore. We have allowed God... To, 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 to be a past time instead of the present time. We've allowed God to be put aside and we have allowed our lives 
to circumference God, not God circumference us. It is time that we set aside our lives and allow Jesus to direct our footsteps. Samson was called to a place of service. Samson was called to a place of commitment. He had the Nazarite vow upon his life. He was committed to an act of following God's will and following God's way. And he wanted to do God's will, but he flawed the world to come into his life. It was the world that generated all, the, all his reactions. It wasn't God. There were times that he allowed God to move upon him. You see, he had the power of God all the time in his life. But he only allowed God to, to, to come into his life when he was at points of crisis. And that's where we are today. We only allow God to be a part of our life when we need help. And God is saying, don't set me aside. Don't put me on a back burner. I can help you to make the right decisions. Sorry. I can, I can make, help you make right choices. You don't have to suffer that pain of sin. You don't have to suffer that pain of separation. God is not wanting to be on your back, the back burner of your life. God wants it to be in the... I was talking with Brother uh, Silvers' father and, and telling him this morning that don't let God be your co-pilot. Put him in the driver's seat. And that doesn't mean that you sit, you sit in the other seat either. Too many times in our lives we put God in the co-pilot seat. And we put a seatbelt around him. And we use him just when we need him. God is with you all the time. The power of God rests in your soul. But don't, don't, don't pull him out like a $5 bill when you need to use him. God wants to be used day in and day out. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Our world is quickly burning itself out. I was listening to a guy this morning on the radio as I was preparing to come to church, and he was talking about the, the churches in England. Twenty years ago, I heard a missionary say that only 4% of the people in England went to church. That was 20 years ago. This morning I heard from a guy talking about how in England now, there are plenty of churches in England but they are churches that are massage parlors. They are churches that are houses of prostitution. They are tattoo parlors. They are resale parlors. The Spirit of God no longer rests in those places. The Spirit of God no longer is moving in those places. I don't want our church to be like that. I don't want God to, to, to leave this this house, not, not because God dwells in a house, but because God's people dwell here. And it's, it's, it's not that 
we're, none of us are, are, are so, so busy that we can't spend 30 minutes, 60 minutes, an hour, that we can't come to the house of God. You see, I don't come because I am required. It's not a duty that I come. It's a joy. It's a joy because for, for, for a short period of time, as we congregate as one, we congregate with the idea that God is going to come down and He's going to do a, spirit, a, a supernatural, a spiritual work in my heart and in yours. You know why I come to church? You know why you need church? You see, Samson, Samson had no spiritual guide. He had nobody to point a finger at him and say, Samson, don't go there. He was the spiritual guide. If I was to talk to you this morning about Samson, the first thing that you would tell me about Samson, when I say Samson, it's Delilah. All of his 39, 40 years of life is wrapped up in the idea that he gave his life to a prostitute. Samson's life was not a life of morality. It was a life of immorality. Do you know that Samson murdered 30 men to pay off a gambling debt? Do you know that Samson committed an abomination by reaching his hand into the dead carcass, carcass of an animal to pull out honey? It was an abomination in the eyes of God that he was not supposed to touch an unclean thing and a dead thing. And he took food out of a dead carcass and he ate it and he gave it to his mom and dad. He had no spiritual compass. He had no spiritual direction. There was nobody to tell him, Samson, you better not do it. There was no prophet in the, in, 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 in the, in the time of the judges. It was supposed to be him. And he had no moral compass. He had no spiritual compass to say, don't go there. Samson didn't have a pastor. Samson didn't have a church. You want to know why I come to church? You know why you need to come to church? Because you need a shepherd for your soul. You need a man of God to stand up here and say, don't go there. It will destroy your soul. You need somebody to say, hey, I feel like God is telling me that that that's the wrong decision to make. Samson, if he could do it all over again, I, I don't know if he would. Because he had no moral compass. He had no moral boundary. But you and I do. When you set God on the back burner, when you set the Word of God on your shelf, when you fail to come to the house of God and hear the preaching of the Word of God, you are setting the morals and the standards of the Word of God and the Spirit of God away from you so that the world can get into you. Can I tell you that there's no gray area with God? Can I tell you this morning that God still calls sin, sin? Can I tell you this morning that God is still judging? 
that God is still going to judge this world for its sin? If we don't allow God to cleanse our lives of the sin that is sitting within our hearts, then God is not going to be able to do what He wants to do with your life. And you may be one of those who sit up on your deathbed and say, God, forgive me. And I, I hope He does. But maybe you're one of those who won't have a chance. Maybe you're going to be one of those who suddenly die in an accident. Or maybe a shot in a robbery. Maybe you're going to be one of those who, because of sin in your life, you, you do something and your life is suddenly over. Maybe it's not even your fault. Maybe the fool in the car coming the other direction reaches down to, to pick up a piece of lettuce off his chest from the sandwich he's eaten, and he looks back up and there you are. I know I'm walking down somebody's street. <laughs> Samson Samson was a man who, who was given to the world he was spiritual supposed to be the spiritual guide but he was a man of the world will we be like a Samson will you let the world guide your footsteps and only call upon God when you need his strength or will you let the light of God so shine in your hearts so shine in your lives that there's a difference, there's a separation, there's a, there's, a, there's a wall that says, hey, this guy's different. What makes you different is not because you may be the next pastor. What makes you different is because you've got God in your life and God is calling you to a work. And God is calling you to a work. God is calling you to a work of commitment to Him. So that you can tell somebody else about how God is able to show forgiveness for what you've done. You are not done. You are not done in your walk and your work with God. Because the God that I serve can still restore you. If you were to go to the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, there's just a one word. In, in, in the book of Hebrews, that word is Samson. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11, is God's hall of fame. It was men of faith. You see, Samson had one more act that he did, and it was an act of faith in seeking God's forgiveness. God is, God is wanting to do some, some wondrous things in our lives. You see, if it wasn't for the act of God in, in our life, it w if it wasn't for the divine interaction of God in your life, you too would not know what it's like to feel God's touch upon your soul. What a precious thing. What a precious thing to feel a divine being, a divine God, all-powerful, a God who is willing to come down and speak your name and say, follow me. Follow me. A God who, who controls the weather. A God who sp spoke all things into existence. says, Jerry, I, I have a need for you. God is not done. 
You see, when we allow the flesh to take us away, like Samson did, it leads into death. James 1, 14 and 15 says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then lust, when it is finished, lust, when it is conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Can I tell you this morning, there's no stopping point in sin. Sin will continue like a disease in your life. It doesn't matter how, what the size of sin is. You can be an adulterer or adulteress. You could be a murderer, a drug addict, an alcoholic. You could be anything. Whether it's a little sin, liar, or a big sin, thief, sin is still sin in the eyes of God. And when it is finished, it will destroy your life. Who wants to listen to a man who is constantly telling lies? Or a woman who is a petty thief? Who wants to listen or be around somebody who has no moral compass and, and just does his own thing? I, I'm reminded of something Brother Paul Davis told me one time about a man who who was college educated, had a college degree, and he was working on the work site. And every, every other word out of his mouth was a four-letter word. As a, education don't change you. Education and knowing words and knowing thoughts and, and being able to put together constructive things does not make you a good man. And Brother Davis tell, told me that he... He brought it to the guy's, am I telling this right? He brought it to the guy's attention and said, you're an educa educated man, right? Yeah. And how can you talk like that? How can you talk like that? How are you talking? Are you walking your talk? Are you walking your talk? I'm not talking about words. Words are cheap. Words are easy to say. What, is, what are you talking about? This week, did you, did you make a mistake? Did you make the right choice? Did you make the wrong choice and make it, make it right? What are you talking about? Did, are you walking around showing things that you shouldn't be showing? Doing things that you shouldn't be doing? Seeing things that you shouldn't be seeing? I can't, I, I'm not even going to try to be your judge. But God is. What, is your, what are you saying today? What does your life say? There's a song. What's that? The, uh, I, can't, I can't remember the group that sings it. Let, let my law, life song sing today. If you get and you look at your life, where it is today, what is, what is your life song saying? What is the culmination of the things that you are doing and the things that you are saying and the way that you are living? What is it saying? Your life song that... The thing that says, this is who he is. I believe it's the pastor who says, or somebody said, I can't remember who. I think it was the pastor that said the other day, character is what decides who you are. Not what you do when people are watching, but what you do when people aren't watching. Character. Samson's life. It covers four chapters in a in a book, in a book of 66 books, four chapters. 
And it was a life that said, I've given myself to the world. I've given myself to sin. I've given myself to things that are carnal. Samson, who sought a, an uncircumcised Philistine that he wasn't supposed to have, Samson, who sought out a prostitute that cost him not only his sight, but his life for the, five, for, for the price of 5,500 pieces of silver. My Savior, he was only sold for 30 pieces. What a bargain he got. The Savior of the world, sold for such a cheap price. Can I ask you this morning, what are you selling your Lord for? What is the price of your Jesus? Is it for a good time? Is he the butt of your joke? Is it for the entertainment of our world? Is it for the next movie? What are you selling your Jesus for? Is it for a relationship that you shouldn't have? Is it for the price of a piece of money? Whatever it is. What is Jesus to you? Our licentious society has given it over, itself over to the abandonment of lust. It has given itself over to the, the abandonment of self. You see, we no longer bow to a knee, bow our knee to the, uh, the, the, the stone idol. We don't really bow our knee to the, the carvings of, uh, of what comes to mind is like a totem pole. We bow to pantheism today. We bow to the idea that this world is all there is and we've got to protect it. We bow to the idea that there's a force in nature to be reckoned with and it's not God. We bow to the idea that this world is all that's left and we've got to take care of it. And, excuse me, there's nothing, more, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with taking care of the, 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 the things of the, uh, that need to be taken care of. I mean, nobody wants to walk around trash. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about elevating nature and this world to a point that it's a God unto itself. I'm talking about elevating your life and the life that we live here, elevating it to a point where you're a demigod. To a point where you're the God of your own world. That's not what Jesus came to do. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. And that was me. And if I yield to the Holy Ghost, and I give myself to the Holy Ghost, then i got to quit putting God on the back burner and let Him step out in front of me. I can't allow the things of this world to blind me and say, well, I'll meet Jesus on Sunday morning. Or I'll meet Jesus on Sunday night when everybody is shouting and dancing. And I hope you get there. Because you may not get there by Friday night or Saturday night while you're out there doing your thing. I'm talking about what Samson did. It wouldn't surprise me that he went to a honky-tonk, but they didn't have those back then. What, what, what do you call a honky-tonk back in the old days? A celebration? 
A jubilation? I don't know. But you know what? Men everywhere, it doesn't matter the century, it doesn't matter the time, have found ways to put God out of their life. Are you putting God out of your life today? Is God your healer? Is He speaking good things into your life? Or are you just allowing the day to go by as another experience in the day of days? Man, I, I don't know for, for you. I don't want to go a single day. I don't want to go a single day without spending time with my Lord. You see, the older I get, the more I recognize the fact that I don't always know what's right. I've, I've had to quit listening to political talk for a while because it rises my flesh up. I, I grieve. I, I tell you the truth. I, I grieve for my country. Wickedness. Wickedness has risen to a point that it's overwhelming our lifestyles. Don't you dare speak against alternative lifestyles. Don't you dare speak against what a marriage is. Don't you hold our society to the confines that marriage is between one man and one woman. There are people, and I've heard this this week, that have said, well, once we conquer marriage with a gay lifestyle, then we're going to be able to move on to polygamy. The Mormons, they were ahead of their time. Because we don't want to put God in our society anymore. There's, there's, there, there's no moral boundaries. Not in marriage, not in life. We're constantly redefining what's, what's right and what's wrong. Because we have elevated self to who God is. Let's stand. I only got to two pages of my notes. But that's okay. Samson had nobody to call to. Samson had nobody to call to but God in the waning moments of his life. Don't wait. Don't wait till the last second, the last moment of your life before you choose to let God be the, the one who's controlling your life. Don't walk out of this building today and say, well, God's, God's going to move tonight. You see, God's moving right now. I do want to close with this. I do want to close with this. I come across this the other day. And I thought, how appropriate. This was written by Abraham Lincoln. It was at a time when our country was in the middle of one of the greatest struggles for survival as a nation. The Civil War. And it was a time when 
the, the, the question of whether the North was going to succeed or not was in doubt. The North had lost its first battle at Bull Run, and they were going to lose two more battles before they were able to be pushed back. The South was able to be pushed back. But after the first defeat at Bull Run, Abraham Lincoln gave this proclamation that today he was going to announce a, a national day of fasting and prayer. And as he said this in this proclamation, And whereas it is the duty of nations as well as of men to their own dependence upon an overruling power of God to confess their sins and transgressions in, humbling, in humble sorrow yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon. And to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and provided and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is Lord. And insomuch as we know that His divine law, nation-like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world, may we not justify fear that the awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. We have been the recipients of choice bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in number, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand that preserved us in the peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the, in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were, were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. And intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become so self-sufficient to feel the necessities of redeeming and persevering grace. Too proud to pray to God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offending power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. And he established April 30th, in 1963, the National Day of Prayer. That'll be 150 years this Tuesday that Abraham Lincoln wrote that and called for us as a nation to repent. That nation was in the act of civil war. You see, right now we're in an act of civil war. We're in an act of moral war. Not the civil war that takes up guns, though it seems that there are those who are so afraid that our nation is coming apart that they're, excuse me, that they're, they're, they're suggesting it. But there's a moral battle going on, a spiritual battle. You see, the world is going to go, go, go the way that it's going to go. But you know, we don't just give in to it. The Scripture says that when the enemy come in like a flood, the Lord's going to raise a standard. The standard that you and I set will be the difference between one more soul making heaven. Choose you today 
fool you will serve. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I, I've done what I can do. And now it is in your hand. Lord, you, you reach for all men, not wishing any to perish. As we have allowed life and circumstance to dictate some of our priorities, God, let us today take the time and the moment to reset our priorities before you, to put you first, not last. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, of allowing us to, to seek your forgiveness, to seek a place of restoration in you. It's not too late, Lord, that somebody can change. It's not too late that somebody can still be saved. It's not too late. But the day does grow weary. The night cometh. And Lord, you said in your word that no man's going to be able to work. No man's going to be able to be saved. You want to take your church out of here. Help us, God. Help us to be the vessel that reaches one more soul. To be the vessel to witness the power of your saving grace, that amazing grace. Thank you, Lord, for this day. We give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. God bless you. You're dismissed.